But let's talk about expectations. This morning I woke up and I thought about what I had to do next. I thought through kind of my day or my morning. And very quickly, a part of me awakened that wanted to hide me from the world. That was like, oh, this is too much still. Let's take it easy. And I noticed that part in me and then I wondered why. Because in my mind, all I thought was go to the bathroom, do your meditation and mantras, do yoga, do your breathing techniques, take a shower, go down, write for an hour, record for the inner work podcast, prepare for an important recruiting call, have that call, convince the person to join the company, then prepare for an important call with leadership, then prepare your presentation for the team retreat, then make a decision for some of the travel in July and August, and then work on some of the strategic decisions that we have to do around some really important partnerships, and then go to the gym and then finish reading Dostoevsky, and then, you know, call these three friends that have been pinging you for two weeks and wanting to talk to you. And then I thought, what could be so overwhelming? Just that. Huh? <laughs> Just that. <huh? laughs> How could it be? There was a part in me that wanted to crawl back to bed and just quit on life. And, you know, when I was young, first year that I went to school, we talked about this before, and it will be prominently highlighted when we release the episode with the life therapy session with Dick Schwartz and me, the IFS therapy session, is that, you know, I had a difficult time in first grade. You know, I had a first teacher that wasn't that great, and it came at the heels of my father dying. And so many things happened that they weren't awesome for me. But one thing that started there was that, you know, at some point, I basically tried to tell my mother that this teacher was hitting me and that I was having a tough time with her. And my mom, you know, was not able to really see or hear that. And it was like, ah, she's not hitting you. You're over-dramatizing. She's not doing it the way you explain it. And you probably also have responsibility. And what did you do wrong? And how can we work on you? And eventually I had a fall once. I think we talked about this on the episode of my journey as a liar, where I hit my back. And then I pretended that I couldn't sit and I couldn't go to school for a couple of months. And my mom was running around with doctors and hospitals. And I was just, you know, kept that lie alive not to have to go to school. Since then, anytime I ever felt overwhelmed, I would just call in sick. And during school, I don't know how much I did it. I did it a fair amount. Without telling my mom, I would write these like fake letters and signatures from her. And eventually they figured it out and suspended me for a couple of weeks from school. Perfect punishment for someone who doesn't want to go yeah. to school. My mom was actually really angry at them. This is the first time that I saw my mom disagree with an authority figure because they're like, he shouldn't, he won't be able to come to school for four weeks. And she's like, but what about homework? They didn't have an answer for that. They're like, no, we don't know. She's like, wait a second. He doesn't want to come to school. How is it going to help him if he's not in school for four weeks? And then he's going to be behind on all subjects and he's just going to fail all the classes. And then she suggested that I should have to come every morning with by bus to school to pick up the homework for the day. They didn't care. And honestly, I didn't care either because I mainly didn't do the homework. And there was special pleasure in walking out of the school building as every one of my friends was still walking in and taking the empty bus back home and then going home and opening the television and, you know, watching my favorite TV reruns and having cereal and thinking life is grand. Like, I just love this punishment. But I'm regressing, like I'm digressing, maybe both. But this calling in sick was a sort of thing that stuck with me. And later, oftentimes, 
when I first left school, dropped out and started kind of a career, oftentimes when I would get overwhelmed, I would just cancel my calls, cancel my meetings and tell people I got sick, right? Or some emergency has popped up. And I've talked about this many, many times over the past 10 years, even in all the clothes and sales content that I do, I've taught this kind of mantra of, you know, oh, shut the fuck up and do it anyways, no matter how you feel, how that really liberated me. Because I was at the mercy of that mood. Anytime I thought this is all too much and I don't want to do this meeting, I would just cancel it. And then I would feel so horrible about myself that I would cancel everything afterwards. And then, you know, a bad moment would turn into a bad hour and then a bad day and oftentimes with me into a bad week where basically I canceled all my appointments, all my meetings and wouldn't get anything done other than watching television. Now, turning 40 in a couple of weeks and I think that it took till the last 10 years for me to really get over that. Like 11, 12 years ago, I really started mastering some emotional discipline and doing things despite not feeling like them. But I used brute force for that. Just telling myself, shut the fuck up and do it anyways. But I don't feel like doing it. Do it anyways. It doesn't matter how you feel like. Do it. And first realizing that I could do things, although I didn't feel like them, was liberating. And then when I would do it, I feel really good about myself and proud. And then it would spin into a positive thing. But what I never knew back then and never was able to do was to reflect, why do I feel this way? Maybe we should get to the root of it versus just when the pain is overwhelming, we take out the tooth, right? And then things are fine again for a couple of weeks, but, but maybe we should learn why are we having all these tooth problems? Why do we have this recurring pain? Which reminds me of Gabo Mate. One of my favorite things that he said about, you know, people with drug addictions is instead of asking why the drug addiction, we need to ask why the pain? Because every drug addiction is some sort of suppression of pain. Like why is there emotional pain? What is the emotional pain that this drug addiction is easing somebody from, although it's destroying their life, it is protecting them from this pain. Right? It's like an attempt to solve the problem, right? Yes. It's not the problem. It's, it's not the problem. It's an attempt to solve the core problem. And if we just solve the solution to the problem, it will be replaced, you know, with something else that may or may not be good, but the pain will remain and grow, you know, wreak havoc. So I never asked myself, why do I not feel like doing the things I need to do so consistently? And when I don't feel like that, why is the feeling that I have not some sort of slight, like, nah, I really don't want to wash the kitchen, but it's some sort of a half bubbling up depression in me that the siren call is really one back into bed and quitting on life. It's not just, I'll keep being cheerful and doing things, but I'll cancel this one activity. No, I just want to cancel life when I feel like that. Why? What is that? That seems like an important thing to look at. I never looked at that. Right. I just found a solution that was better than giving into it, which was the pushing through it, forcing it away. This morning, as I was sitting there and I, you know, started to feel that I had a thought that I've had many times. So this calling in sick or canceling on my commitments was something I did every month, multiple times up until I was 27, 28. It was kind of part of my life. Then with 28, 27, 28, I had that emotional breakthrough where I was able to grow in my maturity and my discipline and to have this aha moment that I can be active in the world while feeling depressed or while feeling afraid or while feeling unready or while not feeling like doing the thing. I could still do it. And that sort of served me to some degree with its limitations. But even with that, at times, at the most severe moments, I would have a call that I would cancel once in a while. I just never allowed 
to go from a canceled call to all calls canceled to a whole week. That didn't happen anymore. Eventually, over the last maybe six years, seven years, it went from that to never canceling anything, no matter how I feel like it. But what I had a little awakening towards this morning was that the siren call is still there. This morning, as I was going through my day, there was this whisper in my ear that said, you know, why don't we just cancel these two meetings today? Tell them you're sick. And that will free up all the space. And then we can work on some of these things that have to happen in these meetings and then do them well tomorrow. What's the big harm? Now, when I hear that voice, it's my automatic reaction is just, yeah, but no. Like, I get that this is something that you suggest, but that's not what we're going to do. And I did the same thing this morning. As I said in bed, I thought, yeah, I get it, but no, I'm not canceling anything and I'm not lying to anybody anymore. Like, that's just now not part of what we do. But then I thought, it's been years and years and years that I've changed this about myself, but the whisper is still there, right? The idea still pops up in my head from time I was six years old in school, where it was the first time that I faked an injury to avoid the pain, to now that I'm almost turning 40, that whisper is still alive. Why don't we just pretend we're sick to give ourselves some space, some rest to avoid? And then I thought, well, maybe I need to pay some attention to this. And I wondered, you know, why? All these things that I described, many of them are positive. And then some of them are, you know, more challenging sort of work that I don't enjoy doing, but I have to do. And then I thought, yeah, well, it's a lot. And then it clicked inside of me and I realized it's not just what I have to do today or how much I'm putting on my plate today. It is the expectation I have of myself, how I need to perform. My expectation is so crushing that I want to give up because I don't believe I can meet the expectation I have. When I think about, you know, even in the morning, you know, when I think about my spiritual morning routine right now, it's just too much to do all that, to have that much time for myself, plus do some of the things we are doing, plus do all of the things that I have to do for work. Plus do everything I need to do as a friend, as a father, and a, as a family member, right? It's just too much. And I always, you know, have the tendency to push to the extreme, you know? When I do these things, I expect me to do them really, really well and to not go easy on myself. And then as I thought about us recording for the podcast or writing, or then later even at that escalated, even the meetings and calls and presentations, things that I have to prepare... I realized that what creates this, what makes this part of me come up to try to save me is that it knows I can't live up to how I expect myself to do all these things. And then just for one moment, I eased the expectations a little bit. You know, I was thinking just, what if I don't do these two things? And what if in that one meeting, my goal isn't to have the perfect answers and give everybody the perfect direction? What if, since I don't feel ready for that yet, I use that meeting to ask more questions, to do some more explorations, to share some of my thoughts and doubts, and to collect more feedback instead of presenting the answer? What if in that other meeting, you know, like, out of all the things that I have on my plate, there's one thing that I really need to do. That's my business. Then there's a couple of things that it's not my responsibility to make sure they're already done or perfect today. 
I can tag along and just help as much as I can. And thinking through and easing, lowering my expectations in some of these areas of my day instantly made the pain go away. And as the pain went away, there was great relief. And then there was no need to stay in bed. There was no need to quit on life. There was no need to cancel any calls. I was able to get up and get started and get going with my day. And these two parts of me, the part that sets what I would call now merciless expectations, right? The part that sets the standard for me inside of me, that creates the expectation that I have for myself. That part has become merciless in that it never, ever eases or ceases to be. It never relaxes. It never goes, ah, today we can skip. Even in my off days, even on my vacations, even parts of my day where I go today, right now, I'm not doing anything. The tension of my body speaks to the feeling that that's not okay. Like it's not okay because I have not lived up to all the things I could possibly be to deserve easing off. And there's a great fear between my expectation part and my, let's say, hiding part or help take a break part. There's a great polarity between those two parts because they don't trust each other. And the more this merciless internal expectation is pushing me forward, the more this part as a firefighter tries to step in and force me to take breaks. And the more this part forces me to take breaks, the more merciless the part is that pushes me forward and expects me to be perfect, really to be amazing at everything I do and outstanding, have zero weakness, zero... Uh, I'm sure that feels great. That feels, that feels so <laughs> relaxing. These two places. Yeah. So relaxing. So what happens often for me is that I take on too much on two dimensions. One is that I put too much on my plate, but also that I am taking on too much pressure on what I have to do for the things that are on my plate. I expect unrealistic performances from me daily. And then I never ever feel or very rarely can get to a place of real satisfaction and peace, like a place where I'm like, yeah, I've done well today. And when this part of me rises, like this morning, actually this morning, nothing happened yet. But as I was thinking through my day and the expectations I had for all these things, and I realized I can't live up to all these expectations, this part comes up and says, we need to rest before we try all this. We're not going to be able to do this well. If we don't quit, at least we need some rest. So then in my inner dialogue, there'll be a voice that says, okay, we're not canceling all meetings, but let's take another half an hour to read some more. Dostoevsky. Let's take it easy. Let's start. Let's not instantly go to yoga or meditation. Let's, let's read a little bit in bed, right? Back in the day, it'd be like, let's watch a couple of hours of YouTube. Now it's like, just let's just read Dostoevsky <laughs> for 30 minutes. And I go, okay. And then I read 30 minutes of Dostoevsky, but during the entire time, there's no relaxation in my body. There's no peace within my mind. There's tension. It's a, you know, that ex expectation, that push apart, that inner pressure that says, okay, 30 minutes, 25, 20. 15, 10, 5, 4, 3, motherfucker better get going. And then that other part goes, oh my God, I'm now I've lost half an hour. How am I going to do all my morning routines and all the things? And I feel worse than half an hour ago. I'm not ready to get started yet. We need at least another half an hour. And this is the fight that's going on in the board meeting of my soul, right? And then the other part is like, fuck, there's no half an hour. And then they fight it out. And eventually the part is like, okay, 20 minutes. And it's, okay, another 20 minutes. And by the time I start, I'm now too late. 
you know, because I fucked around an hour reading Dostoevsky in the morning. And my day, although maybe many of my calls are in the afternoon when I'm in Europe, a lot of my work happens late in the day. There's no, the first part of my day in my mind is still pre-scheduled out in my expectations of it, right? To do an hour of yoga, I have to do an hour of meditation, I have to do my mantras, I do my breathing technique, I have to shower, I have to breakfast, I have to write, I have to record a podcast. All these things need time. And if I start off 20 minutes later than I wanted in the morning, I'm behind now. Now I'm in the struggle bus. So there's great polarization and conflict between these two parts. And this expectation that is inhumane, unrealistic, like no human hits that. And I can make myself hit that on the surface only for a short mechanic period of time by suppressing all my feelings and all my truth, just pushing everything away to function, purely function. I can. The problem is that all that functioning doesn't get me anywhere, right? Because where all, there's some confusion inside of me, I suspect, because a lot of what I have created in life that's worthwhile and that people love, a lot of it was in moments of inspiration, in moments of relaxation, in moments of receiving, of insight, of creativity. And I'm able to do that even under great pressure. There's some unconscious methods that there are patterns. I don't understand all of them yet well enough because I never looked at all of them very, very carefully. But I know instinctually how there's a pattern to the madness sometimes. Like even to the point where people would always tell me that in crisis, I'm brilliant. And then it eventually became a, a badge of honor for me. I'm like, when things go bad, I know I can trust myself. And everybody else knows, let's just do what Stelly says, because we're going to be fine. You know, that's kind of a great ego boost. And it feels great to be fully present when there's crisis and really lead from that effortless Maybe it's painful, but it's not. There's no suffering or great effort. There's just doing, just complete presence in the moment acting. Not much debating and worrying in my mind. I just act. I know it just doesn't fall from the sky. When there's crisis, I have a tremendous ability to be completely present. And in complete presence, I don't worry and think. I don't overstrain myself with going back and forth and overly stressing myself. I just act like any decision that's difficult will make one right now, difficult or not. When there's not a crisis and there's more space for things, then I go, well, we have a difficult decision to make and there's three options and I don't like any. And then I'll take my three weeks of fucking around and suffering through what should I do because I have the slack, so I give it to myself. But when there's crisis, I'm just deciding and I have the presence of mind to then have insight to have aha moments, to receive moments where I just instinctually know we need to go this direction, although I don't understand yet why. And I trust myself in those situations because I've gone through it many times. A lot of the value that I've created in my life is because of that side of me, that creative side, that trusting side, that being present and in the moment, having great presence. There's the other side of me that is the discipline, the hardworking, the keeping his word, putting in brute strength, force, hours and work and using tremendous discipline to accomplish things. That part of me has helped a lot, but I think, I wonder if it has helped as much as I believe. Because I wonder if I've attributed too much of my success in life to that part. Because without it, I was at the mercy of my feelings and I was very inconsistent. Brilliant, but inconsistent. You know, it brilliant in my context, for me, for my mind, for my being. And then when I switched over, I overcorrected to almost exclusively using discipline to create value and seeing that as the only source of it. 
And instead of seeing that a marriage of these two things is really what I need, I need some discipline in my life. I need some commitment and I need hard work. But when I overdo that, I rob all oxygen of my creativity, of my insight. I have no presence because I'm always in my mind in a million different places. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do that. Don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do that. Being responsible for everybody and everything overburdens my mind to a degree where all I can do is now brute force more and more hours, more and more work, more and more strength. And I get weak that way. And eventually I feel like I'm about to break. I can't do that forever. That's a sprint. You can marathon at that. I cannot marathon at that pace. And then this defender inside of me comes up that says, well, we need to not quit on everything, right? Since you cannot be trusted with moderation, we have to quit life, right? And I don't want to make light of it, but the extreme of that line of emotion and thought is jumping off a building, taking your life. That's it. That's the let's end the burden that you feel being alive and you feel being for others because you're alive. Let's end that pain. And deep down, I thought, what would happen to the world if I died or if I killed myself? You know, usually when I'm at heights, I would have that thought, even as a child, like, what if I jumped over this balcony? What would happen? And I would imagine what people would say about me. What would be people's stories about me? And just ponder it, just fantasize for a little minute. And then I just move on with life. I never ever in my life seriously considered, even came close to consider something as dramatic as suicide. But I sense that there is a, maybe I did some time when I was a child. Because I do know that this idea of being worthless is one that is very terrifying to me. That is part of why I'm trying to be so valuable. You know, of course, I'd like to just claim that I like to be really valuable and of use to the world because that's a good thing. And there's some truth to that. It is a good thing. I like the feeling of being of value and of use. That's so true. I really do. But I have made myself very valuable, not because I just enjoy the feeling of it. I made it such a dramatic priority in my life because it feels like it's a life and death question. It feels to me, and I had this insight many months ago at a deep session once where I asked myself, why would it be so bad if X happened? During the night, I had a kind of a dream and something popped up. And then the next day I was thinking, why would it be so bad if this thing happened? And I thought, well, if this thing happened, it would lead to this bad outcome. And okay. And then, and then bad outcome would lead to this other bad outcome. And I just kept going. And then, and then, and then, and then at the final line, the answer was, well, and then you'd be worthless. And then I thought, you know, you'd be in a hospital and you would be worthless. You would not be able to help anyone, to be of use to anyone. And then I thought, well, and then, well, if you're worthless, you have to die. And that was a surprising answer to me. Like that answer came to me. I didn't think about it. And it surprised me. It also hurt thinking that. And I thought, and then it instantly clicked to me because I thought, yeah, if I am not valuable to the people I love, and I am just a burden. They have to take care of me. I can't take care of them. I'd rather die. Like I'd rather die from that childish perspective than just be a burden for everyone. Now, as an adult today, I can think through this and be like, that's not true. And here's why we as humans can't be measured in the units of, you know, pieces of things we can do for other people. The amount of tokens of value are not high enough, then better throw us over the Hill, just like the, the Spartans did with babies that didn't seem healthy and strong. They were just like killing them because like, this is not going to make a good warrior. So it's only going to be a burden, you know, to our race. I understand that that's not true rationally, but I feel deep down there's a child in me 
that does not feel that way and that is terrified of ever feeling worthless. And so that feels like a life and death proposition. Hence, you'd look at my life and you go, huh, kind of makes sense that this man has been mercilessly pressuring himself to face all his fears, to amass wisdom and skills and wealth, and to become more and more useful to everybody he knows and loves. When somebody's as driven as I've always been, that driver must be very strong. That very strong drivers often don't come from very gentle places. You know, They come from these, even if it's just imagined emotional life and death questions. Like if we don't become incredibly valuable, then we may have to end this. So, and because we don't want that to happen, we have to force mercilessly ourselves to become more and more valuable. So this part of me that creates these tremendous expectations on myself also believes that if it wasn't there, if it didn't do this to me, I would become sort of a, a lazy couch potato, watches television, is fat, is eating snacks and chocolate all day long, and is sort of a loser, you know, has a shitty job and spends most of his time watching television and eating snacks. And that's interesting. I never realized this as crisp and clear as this morning. That part that sets such high expectations believes if I don't do that, if I relax and let you set the expectation, we're going to underdeliver. And if we underdeliver, we're going to be worthless. And if we end up at that place, then what are we going to do? So to prevent us from ever going down that place where we're this worthless person. And I've been this worthless person in my worst version because I would cancel all my meetings, you know, being 21 years old and just spend a week on the couch, eating chocolate, watching television, feeling depressed. So that expectation part is like, well, if I allow you to do that and you do that for a year or two, you'll kill yourself. Like you can't live with yourself this way. So we have to do the exact opposite to make sure you never get there. Now, what these two parts don't understand about each other is that one is creating the other, right? One is actually making the other happen. Because my expectations are so crushing, I do want to quit. If my expectations were a little lower, much less likely I'd feel so overwhelmed and intimidated to want to quit. And then I'd be more ready to get started with things or do things. And as I do things, with more lightheartedness, I get into flow. When I'm in flow, I do many things and I like them. But the thing that tries to get me somewhere is in the way of it, which is so often a pattern in life. The thing we try to prevent when we're doing it with too much fear is what causes, creates the outcome that we're so terrified of. So all that is to say that I got a lot of work to do when it comes to these two inner parts of me, these two different sides of who I am, and that I want to be mindful this week of my expectations, because it was just a split second of easing them a little bit that changed my state immediately and made me from feeling so tired and so depressed and so sad that I wanted to quit to being excited and wanting to come down and hug and kiss you and get started with everything. Like that was the difference, just easing off a little bit, you know, just creating a bit of space to breathe. And all of a sudden I felt excited and energized. So there's a lot for me to learn when it comes to how I set expectations for myself and what my expectations really are. And if these expectations are have the appropriate amount of grace and patience and love, that it gives me some space, get into a rhythm and get into a flow. Or if they are so overburdening, like a parent that's like always hovering over you, always wanting you to do more and more, more that they're crushing me and then crushing my life energy, my creativity, my 
you know, the thing that will allow me to actually rise and surpass my own expectations in some way. A lot of work to do.